It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to kill. LeBron left to the circle, left to the lane. We wanted a different approach. The shoot around. Welcome back, everybody. The Cavs sit at a 34 and 21 record and are currently in the top five of the Eastern Conference. Colin, great to be back with you here at the club. What note can you start us out with today? The team's having a fantastic season, with Darius Garland being named an All-Star and Jared Allen and rookie Evan Mobley having All-Star caliber seasons. The Cavs started the year with the tagline, Let Them Know, which was a call-out to the fans and the league that this team would be taking a huge step this season. To many, it seemed a little premature. However, here at the club, we followed a gritty, young team last year that, due to injury, had to give minutes to guys that normally would have sat on the deepest part of the bench. Now, after a year of gaining all that skill and camaraderie, they've shocked the NBA and are currently one of the best teams in the league. So let's talk the season so far. What are some of the things that have stuck out to you the most? When the Cavs were part of the Brooklyn deal that took James Harden from Houston to Brooklyn and the Cavs got Jared Allen, you and I were talking all the time. And I think it inspired us to even start this podcast, that move alone. I really have to credit Kobe Altman for this. I mean, he has been a GM that has been the only GM that has been extended under Dan Gilbert, um, even under the LeBron era that never happened. And, you know, he brought in Jared Allen. He uh, used the Torian Prince trade to get Ricky Rubio. He has stuck with players like Love and brought in some other players as well that fill out the bench like you brought up, you know, bringing in Lamar Stevens and a Dean Wade, right? And on top of all of that, he's had a great relationship with J.B. Bickerstaff, the head coach. They had John Beeline. We all remember, you know, the whole John Beeline issue, right? But he knew that JB was a good coach and really fought to also hire him and have him be a part of the coaching staff. And this is paying off in spades. So I think Altman getting all this great talent and then being on the same page with JB, having JB kind of craft the team and connect with the players is why the Cavs are, you know, they're a top five team in the East. So I think it actually reminds me of Blatt, David Blatt, the coach that we had before uh, Tyron Lou, and how, you know, everybody thought that was going to be the guy, but it just wasn't the right fit. It turned out the better coach was on the bench. Now, in his case with, with Lou, he never really got to coach the team um, maybe to as fully as what Bickerstaff is getting to do because Bickerstaff doesn't have a 10-plus year veteran with an ego, you know, that wants to run the team and, and has an opinion about every play, you know, this, this team feels more like a, 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 a higher level college basketball team that bigger staff gets to kind of coach because of the youth that they have out there. 
it's such a better fit, but at the same time, it's an interesting kind of comparison or correlation to how, you know, we've seen this before where we start with one coach and it turns out the better coach is sitting right next to them. So, and I credit JB for kind of taking the reins and cause he's been in that situation before he was with that with Memphis. He's been a guy who he was seen around the league as a band-aid coach, right? And he has molded this team. He, is why we have buy-in from Kevin Love this year. He had a discussion with Love about coming off the bench. The whole Team USA stuff, clearly Love has been motivated since that whole debacle. And with drafting Evan Mobley, I think JB went to Love and said, look, Kevin, you're coming off the bench. This is going to extend your career. I don't know if you've thought this. I think Kevin Love is the sixth man of the year. Miami has Tyler Hero, except Tyler Hero, little known fact, leads the Heat in minutes. How can your sixth man lead your team in minutes? That's not a sixth man. (laughs) That's a dude that doesn't start, (laughs) but you rely on him to be a starter. Those are starter minutes, right? Sometimes the perception of what a player is gets in the way of the uh, fan base or even the media to allow a player to be called something else. And and in a lot of ways, I, I do agree that love should be in consideration and maybe at the top of the list for six man this year. But I, I kind of wonder if it just won't happen because people are considering him more as this veteran that's been injured and is, is coming back from that injury and is proving his worth as a starter again. And the Cavs are just kind of lucking out that he's in that position. He's not a sixth man. They're just kind of using him in that role for now. And if they pass the trade deadline and they keep him and he stays in this role, and then even into next season and he stays in this role, I think you may see that title be more um, accepted by the casual fan or the media. Because it just seems to me like the guy's shooting over 50% from three a lot of these games. He's easily scoring 15, 20 a night when they need it. And he's averaging, you know, 26, 28, 29 minutes a game. He should definitely be in consideration, but I just don't hear people talking about him that way. I see your point. I could definitely see him get comeback player of the year just because he had he's had so many injury issues. Just the last thing that couches on Bickerstaff too is... I think he challenged Darius Garland to become more of a leader and become a better player this year. You know, we heard about the leap. We saw the leap that he took from year one to year two. The leap that he's taken from two to three, it has exceeded my expectations. I, you know, we had conversations last year where we were like, no, he could definitely get there. But I don't think either of us were considering that he would be an all-star. I thought that he would become a really good point guard, and that was going to be his next step. But maybe it would still be two more years down the road. The fact that he has excelled in this role for the Cavs has been tremendous. And I think a lot of that has to do with JB as well. You know that I was down on Garland for the first couple of seasons there, um, you know, and mostly because it was a hype that I didn't think was deserved. And, you know, I don't like that. I, I want guys to come into the league and kind of quietly find wherever they belong. Don't come in telling me this guy's a lights out shooter and can hit it from anywhere because when I watch his game, he can't. And this season, he's proving me wrong. Finally, 
And let me just always make this clear, just in case any of these players listen to our podcast at any point in their lives. You don't have to prove anything to me. You make millions of dollars and you've busted your butt your entire life. You've made it to this point in your career. And even if you never fulfilled what was uh, said about you, what was possible about your game, you did more than I ever have, right? So congrats. But from an outsider's perspective, I just couldn't stand kind of the accolades they wanted to push on you when you hadn't proven you'd actually do it. But going back to what you had mentioned before, the coaching staff has really put every player on this team in the best possible position to maximize their skill sets and to and to not have to lean on their weaknesses every night. And so Garland I think has embraced, you know, who he is as a player and the and the plays reflect that as well. The team has embraced who he is. And in a lot of ways, with Sexton being gone, it opened that door for him to step through and go, okay, now this I'm going to be the one who leads this team. Talking about some of the new players that we have this year, and going back to your very first statement, Allen was by far the best part of that trade with the Nets. We were laughing at how the media, they had their blinders on so much to what the Cavs would even be remotely doing, that nobody really cared that Jared Allen went to the Cavaliers. And then all of a sudden, we're signing him to a five-year, $100 million deal. And this guy comes out in the first week and is putting up 20 and 10 numbers easily. He is a selfless player that went off in the offseason and did everything the Cavs asked him to do and then added a few things to his own list and did those too. And I think he's going to get develop a hook shot in the next two seasons. I think he's going to develop a three-point shot in the next two seasons. He's going to be an all-star that if the Cavs are smart, they'll keep him for the rest of his career. And we got that from an aging all-star as well, sent, sent to a team that immediately had chemistry problems because of Kyrie. We won that trade. End of story. And I actually had a recent conversation with somebody at my local bar about how, oh, don't you think Harden is, is still a great player? Oh, I'd take him. No, I wouldn't trade anybody on our team for James Harden. Not a one. There are so many times when a fan sees a player in the NBA. I think it's less of an issue now. I think it was a bigger issue when you and I were younger, where a guy would get a huge deal, just a ton of money. We were a little afraid that that was going to happen with Love. I know that Love was, you know, he got snake bitten with with injuries and whatnot. But, you know, you see that that's a large contract for Allen and from everything that we hear i mean alan just had a game uh it was just this last week where he came out and he told the press he said after the game he told jb i want him to yell at me more i want him to coach me harder during the game so that i show up better and love is making the most and then it's alan right and that's that's what you get from that's a leader right that's just awesome to see with Allen being uh, kind of the, the surprise to everybody else, not to us, but the surprise to everybody else that he has been, that was kind of the piece of the puzzle that we needed to complete the bigger picture. And ever since then, I think every player that the Cavaliers have picked up either before or after complements that main piece, Allen. The nights that he's not been out there this year, we just can't run our offense appropriately. We can't run our defense appropriately. Mobley's going to be rookie of the year. But if Allen wasn't out there most of those games, he wouldn't be. He pulls a lot of attention off of, of Mobley, and Mobley has you know capitalized on that. Well, he allows Mobley to freelance a little bit more on defense, and that allows 
a dude who's seven feet, I'm pretty sure his wingspan is, you know, 10 feet. The way that he gets around and is able to cover so much ground, a lot of that is Alan. Well, Alan's positioning and then Mobley being there with his long reach. And, um, and you know, his instincts are great on defense as well. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Mobley, but playing next to an all-star like Alan has certainly elevated his stats. We like to try and stay positive here, but Sexton is out for the season and Lowry Markkinen has been out for a month with a high ankle sprain and won't return until after the All-Star break. The Cavs went and traded Ricky Rubio, who was injured for the season, to Indiana for Karis LeVert. Do you think this move helps the Cavs overcome these injuries or are they still missing an important piece for the playoffs? Well, I think this trade was just phenomenal. Every rumor that I had heard or story I'd seen about what we'd have to give up to get Karis LeVert, uh, it was at least a Kuro, at least Sexton. And the fact that we only gave up Ricky Rubio, right, which that's a big deal, but the fact that he's injured and we can actually pass him off in a trade is surprising to me. A 2022 first-round pick, lottery protected. 2022 second-round pick via Houston. And then a 2027 second-round pick via Utah. So we really didn't give up anything. Nothing that really matters. When you're a team that's playing for playoff position for probably the next four or five seasons at minimum, hopefully, who cares about draft picks? We're at that place where we can start moving these pieces and it doesn't feel like we've missed anything. The fact that Rubio's already talked about when he is healthy and a free agent, he'd want to resign with us. An amazing thing that they've done this year, even though there are people that have the title starter, they're managing their minutes so well that guys can come off the bench and still feel like they're starters. And I think that was a big deal for Rubio of like, hey, I want to play here because it doesn't matter where I I sit. I'm an important part of this team. So, yeah, an an amazing trade considering, you know, what we got out of it. Uh, Karis LeVert uh, and then a 2022 second round pick. I mean, that was a surprise. We got anything else. We only needed him. As far as your question is concerned, I really believed last year that if we were fully healthy, we were a seventh or eighth seed in the East, especially the way we started the season. I think we proved that we were going to be in it, right? And then because of the injury bug, it was just not not something any casual fan could see if they were tuning in after the fact. What we gained out of last season's difficult year is that a lot of guys that normally would have been deep on the bench had to play starting minutes and had to kind of learn how to play as a team. And I think the guys that were injured were really rooting for the guys that were still left. And and they all built a, a rapport very quickly together. And so I have a feeling, you know, just from last year's experience and then into this year, we only added to that group. I feel like we had enough pieces prior to injury of Sexton. If Laurie comes back and stays healthy, if Love can stay healthy, which he has all year, but fingers crossed, I think we're good enough now. And the fact that we added Karis LeVert, especially hearing that Sexton might actually be back by the playoffs, we've got enough pieces, I think, to make a legitimate run at the finals this year. And that's only because the East is a little weak and nobody, there's really no contender on the East side that you can say, oh yeah, they're, they're a shoo-in. And I understand that Milwaukee's sitting there, hey, you know, hands up, we won it last year. But I thought last year was kind of a weak year and an opportunity for them to win at a time that they weren't full strength either. And I don't think they added anything to make themselves better coming into this season. I think we have more than enough horses to make to make the race here. And now if we can just stay healthy moving forward, if we gain some of the pieces back that we're missing, again, like I said, I think we have a legitimate chance at going deep into the into the playoffs. I think the Levert deal 
adds an extra level of scoring to the team that they just were missing, especially with Sexton being injured. I don't know if the Cavs can make a run at the finals. I think the East is stronger than the West this year, but I do agree with you that the East is still a weird conference compared to previous seasons where there is no quote-unquote super team. I think Giannis is the scariest person in the East, but at the same time, we have three seven-footers, and we have three seven-footers who are mobile and able to stay with him and make him have to defend on possessions versus I think when they beat the Suns it was really just Aiden you know they didn't the Suns don't have you know three seven footers that a lot of teams just don't they don't have three mobile guys who you have to pay attention to you also look at Brooklyn and you look at Philly and those other teams they're all really good teams and you can make the argument because they have more experience they're better than the Cavs it's still really only like two or three guys that are really like the catalyst and the Cavs this is something that was brought up um, you know just like in Cavs Twitter is the Cavs have more 20 point scorers with wins than any other team in the league usually that correlation means that you have a bad record like the Rockets and uh, Detroit they also have 20 point scorers the Cavs have 20 point scorers but they're winning this is a team whose chemistry is just fantastic I think the addition of Levert just adds on to that he's from Ohio he kind of understands at least the mindset of what this team is wanting to do. And there's going to be nights where he's going to be the man. He'll he'll relish in it. And there are nights where he'll, he'll be the guy that he makes the assist that's the winning basket, right? That's what I love is they didn't get a guy like a James Harden. They didn't get a dude who was like, this is me. And I'm I'm the one that's going to be the one that's the real leader. Well, that and we're, we're just not constructed like that as a team. And I said this to uh, somebody, a close friend of mine, when we started the season. I said, no, you, you can't sleep on this team because we've got seven, eight guys that can easily get 15 a night or more. When you're looking at those kinds of numbers, you're talking about a team that's going to easily score over 100 a night. But then if that's the case, like let's say you only average 105 a night, right? Well, if you're going to be in the top five defensive teams in the league, you don't need to average much more than that. And that goes back to how they're playing inside-out basketball, kind of more of an, an, uh, a 90s, early 2000s style of playing. The one thing I would say that the Cavs could maybe still get in the buyout market is maybe one additional like shooting point guard or something like that. Pangos is not really an NBA body. And I like good. I like Goodwin a lot, but they have to. He's on a two way, and they would have to sign him for him to be able to play in the playoffs. I think we have enough with Rondo. The guy's developed a three point shot. He he really is what Pangos can't be, which is he, he's not going to be a defensive liability. He's actually somebody that we put out there purposely on defense, uh, even at his, at his age. He's still laterally quick enough. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I agree with you, only because I feel like with Levert, we've picked up that two-way player that not can play the one or the two, and we already have kind of a, a team that when we're healthy, we don't need him in the starting lineup. And on a night that he's having an off game, we don't need him to have had a good game in the first place. Like we have so many other guys that can play. And that that goes to uh, something else we haven't brought up yet, which is that we're finally getting, you know, kind of what we were hoping to get out of Jetty. This team is just firing on all, on all cylinders. And if they can continue to do that, I just don't see that they need any more. And, and to, say, to also go back to what you said about what's in the East, 
you know, I maybe I got the Cavs, you know, blinders, you know, on or whatever, and I'm I'm too much of a super fan right now with how good we've been doing. But I don't see any team in the East that you could say their name and I'd go, oh yeah, we're gonna have a hard time beating them in a in a best of seven series. I think we could take anybody in the East. Yeah. No, I I, I mean I applaud your confidence. I it's really it's it's really just Giannis that's the the scariest person. I think Giannis has given me that confidence because the last time we played the Bucks, he came out and was like, "This team is good. This team needs to be taken seriously." And I think on paper, we're designed to beat teams like that, to be the the death of teams like that because of what you brought up. We can isolate and and take away Giannis and then what else do they have? We're such a good team on both sides of the ball that I, I'm really, I am overconfident. I really am. I'm not saying we're going to win, but I'm just saying that w- there's a better chance that we're going to make it to the finals than anyone is even thinking or giving credit for. The final seconds. Evan Mobley has been an absolute star in his rookie season. What other player does he remind you of? You and I have mentioned this before. When he initially was selected, I was looking at some of his tape. And then when the season started, I felt like you and I really didn't want to say it, but we like wanted to say it. And it was Kevin Durant, especially when Durant in his first few years was so just like calm and calculating and where he was choosing his spots. Mobley's still figuring some of that offensive side out you can just tell that he is going to be the hub of so much of that team in the next, hopefully, decade. And offensively, when he has somebody that he knows he's going to score on, he just beats the crap out of them. And that's where I kind of see that from him, is he has an instinct that's closer to like a wing player or a small forward who can dominate for four quarters than a post guy who needs to get fed the ball like on a regular basis coming out of college and playing his first game his first games in the nba he does have more of a chris bosh kind of game or skill set to his game coming in but i agree with you what i see underneath that so not what he is today but what he could be tomorrow i see a durant level type player maybe not quite as quick laterally that remains to be seen but his ball handling skills and the way he can kind of pull up for, you know, these little 15 foot, 20 foot jump shots, even his three point shooting, which was kind of undersold coming out of college. He's got a beautiful stroke that reminds me of Durant. And, you know, it's hard not to also see kind of the lanky kind of frame and all of that, the, the similarities there. But right now, I think just what he's naturally gifted at and what he did in college and what the Cavs are asking him to do. He's more of a Chris Bosh player right now. Adam, last year, we talked about Jetty Osmond a lot and how he was underperforming and how he maybe shouldn't be a Cavalier anymore. Do you think we owe Jetty Osmond an apology? No. (laughs) No, because on the one hand, Jetty, hey, this is entertainment. So sorry, some things we said maybe have been we're a little bit over the top because as fans, we feel a little bit over the top about these things. But I think we were very fair. I think if you go back and listen to our podcast episodes from last season, we were just calling it as we were seeing it. I mean, this guy was signed to a four year contract and basically came out to, you know, play jetty ball every day 
it was never apparent that he was fitting into the offense the way that they needed. And frankly, you know, the writing was on the wall when Bickerstaff benched him for like two weeks. You know, we we're like, hey, where's Jetty? You know, Jetty sighting. Who's seen him? So, no, I, I don't think we owe an apology to somebody for calling it as as it actually was. You know, we would owe, an, owe him an apology now if we were continuing to dump on the guy when he's had a really great season so far. He's really finally fit the role that I think the Cavs had envisioned him to fit. And on the nights that Love isn't the sixth man, he's the sixth man. They've really played that off of each other pretty well. So no, I I don't think we owe an apology to somebody for just being honest. And I'm sorry if it hurt your feelings, but this year, you know, you're doing it right. and, And we just have nothing but praise for you. So congratulations. I would say maybe, because I will say, I think everything that you said was accurate and 100% honest, and I think we were completely honest as well, but I also think there were times where I felt I was maybe not understanding what was happening with Jetty, where I think it's been revealed this season a little bit more, where we've already talked about it. The Cavs had a ton of injuries last year. They had a lot of issues with depth and just kind of doing what was needed. And I think there was, because Jetty had more money than a lot of those other guys like Wade and Stevens, the onus was put on Jetty to play better. And he should have played better. But this year, I think he's excelling because the team is asking him not to do what he was doing last year, which was trying to be a starting small forward or shooting guard in the NBA. And we know he's not a starter now, right? When he is coming off the bench for whatever reason, especially when Rubio was with the team and even now with Love, you can tell he has a comfort level now where last year he was not comfortable and he was trying too much. I think that Jetty, if he keeps doing what he's doing, this is exactly what he'll keep doing the rest of his career. He's a guy that can come off the bench. He can light it up when he's on. He's a more athletic version of a Kyle Korver, hopefully, like the way his his career goes. Given all the changes since his injury at the beginning of the season, do you think that Sexton still has a place on this team? I definitely think Colin Sexton has a place on this team. I think that he deserves to get some type of large-scale contract. We talked about it earlier. He has established somewhat of a culture for these young guys. You know, yes, it was Rubio. And yes, it was love. Darius Garland, the first point guard that he was with the Cavs, was Sexton. There were times when they didn't 100% gel, and there were times when they did. What Garland definitely saw was that you have to work extremely hard on your game to make it in the NBA. I've heard that Isaac Okoro's work ethic is very similar, if not more than Sexton's. I've heard that Allen has done similar types of uh you know training and shooting drills and whatnot so sexton has established that floor for the team i think he deserves to play on the team and i think his role might be more of a sixth man type but i think that that's a role especially now that's championed you need a guy like that you can't just ride six or seven players and hope that, oh, okay, that's it. You know, you need bench play, right, in this league. So he might be a high-priced sixth man, but I think that that's a valuable asset. In today's NBA, and this is something that the Cavs are kind of proving by breaking the mold of 
who should be starters or all of that, right? They're like, okay, you come on our team and we're not going to make you starter, but we're still going to give you starting minutes, that kind of concept. I think that it opens the door even more for a, a player, maybe one of the most valuable players on your team coming off the bench. And they don't need to be starting necessarily to make the biggest impact for the team. I think about a player like Andre Iguodala that in 2015 got the MVP in the finals and he was their sixth man. That's how important that role can be. And I think a, a player like Sexton, if he could come back this year for the playoffs and fill that role, we'd just be unstoppable. And then next year, if you did try to do this kind of thing where sometimes he started, sometimes he came off the bench, but still had the same minutes every night. I think it's a new way to play the game. Instead of saying, okay, well, these five guys are going to get most of the minutes and then we'll just kind of supplement whatever we can with these other five guys that are on the bench. You're playing truly one through 12 and you're, you're trying to get the most out of your team. And then you're also making sure that you have a, a team that you don't need two or three guys that score 30 or 40 a night and then the rest can kind of fill out the point total. It's everybody scores 10, 15, and you easily get what you need. And Sexton is that type of guy. He started the culture that currently exists in Cleveland today, I think, by his work ethic and by the guy, by the fact that he's just a selfless player like we've mentioned before. I think he still has a role and a spot on this team because I think he's still very much one of the main leaders of this team. And all those guys still look to him to be that way. And I think they're excited to have their leader come back. So in a, in a lot of ways, I'm excited that they didn't trade him away. There's still a chance we can see what he can do with this team before they make any bigger decisions. And I do think that he still has a role on this team. They just have to you know, make some adjustments and they've done that for everybody else. So why not the guy that was 25, five and five for them before going down? The all-star game is in Cleveland next week. Should Jared Allen have been chosen? This is a tough question, you know, because we're pretty biased, but yes, I, I think so. We've talked about it earlier in the podcast. He did nothing but improve from last year to this year. Some of how he's had to defer to Mobley or to other players out there. You know, he's not a 25 and 10 guy a night, which I think he could be. I and mean, if he was playing that way, he'd be a shoe in That's partly why the all-star stuff and the MVP stuff and all that, it never really means anything. It's just a popularity contest. Because if you follow these teams closely, you know, as a fan, you know, kind of who does what and, and how they sacrifice certain individual accolades so that the team can win. And so Allen, I think right now, even though he is an all-star, he's not asked to play at an all-star level, uh, at least in the way that is most recognized by the people that vote for it. And so right now he missed out this year because of the way that we're playing as a team. But I, I think no matter what, th this guy's going to make many all-star games moving forward i don't know why he wouldn't because I, I think the sky's the limit for him the all-star game is a, a bit of a mess right now with the nba just because of how you have the fan voting and the coach voting and then in this instance Allen didn't get selected by adam silver lamello ball got chosen above him even though the hornets i believe they're trying to get into the play-in and with the selection of lamello that meant the only center that was chosen was joel Embiid. That's ridiculous. Yeah. One center. That's absurd. But so is the All-Star game. <laughs> right. Totally absurd. It's not really a game. It's like watching the Harlem Glo Globetrotters play the Harlem, Harlem Globetrotters. Just <laughs> it was just a little absurd to me because of all the sports in the world, tall guys should be selected. You should have at least two centers. And on top of that, it's in Cleveland. 
you're celebrating your 75 years of the NBA in Cleveland. At the same time, this team has been the surprise team in the East, hands down. They should have been rewarded with two All-Stars. There's no reason why you go with LaMelo and then the fan vote had Chris Middleton in there, which, I mean, Middleton's a great player, but he's not playing at the same level as he was even last year. Allen has taken a leap. He deserves All-Star credit. And I kind of wish that they would do a little bit like a reserves squad because the guy should still at least get the money (laughs) Uh, or, or get that bonus, right? It just goes to show that the whole thing is a joke because they should have a, a roster that you would build out a regular team with. There should be two or three centers, you know, two or three of everything. But it's it's a popularity contest. That's That's all it is anymore. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs.